Welcome, everybody, to the Moose Room. We have the gruesome twosome today. Bradley couldn't join us, so it's myself and Joe. And we are continuing our May Mental Health Awareness Month series with another really special guest this week. Uh, we are joined by Monica McConkie. Monica wears many, many hats, and I'll let her run through all of them. Uh, but a big part of Monica's work is being one of two rural mental health specialists in the state of Minnesota. So Monica and Ted Matthews travel the state and, and work with farmers and farm families who may be struggling and, and need some therapy, counseling, and some different help in that way. So Monica, we're really excited to have you on today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Before we dive into to all, all the good, the juicy stuff here, our, our listeners know that we like to ask our guests some super secret questions. Oh boy. Joe will tell you that there is a right and wrong answer for both of these questions. I am here to tell you that that is a lie. Don't, <laughs> don't let Joe influence you. The first question I have for you is what is your favorite breed of beef cattle? Oh, beef. You know, probably the popular answer is Angus, right? <laughs> Is that yours? So though? I, I will go with that. I will go with Angus. Yes. <laughs> Joe is happy. You, you did get one of his answers. Yes. Joe, where, where are we at on, on the leaderboard? We haven't Uh-oh. run through this total for a while. So um, yeah. black Angus is at 11 now with that vote. Herford's at eight black Baldy at four belted Galloway at two Scottish Highlander at two mm. red Angus with two. And then all with one. Stabilizer, Gelby, Brahmin, Kianina, Charlay, Simiton, Delore, Jersey, Normandy, and Shorthorn. See, I was going to say Shorthorn because that's what I showed, but I showed Dairy Shorthorn, so it doesn't really... This may be your chance then, Monica, because your <laughs> second super secret question is what is your favorite breed of dairy cattle? Oh, I've got to say milking shorthorn, milking <laughs> shorthorn. Yes, yes, yes. Now, no if, if memory serves, you were like the milking shorthorn queen or something. I was in 1987, before mm. you guys were probably even born, Minnesota milking shorthorn queen. A, a true <laughs> I, celebrity in our midst. I still have the crown and the sash, actually. I do. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. All right. Milking Shorthorn. And I mean, I, I already knew this about Monica's history, so I kind of had a hunch she was going to say Milking Shorthorn. Just... Although I do have a place in my heart for jerseys and brown Swiss, just because they're just beautiful and those yes. jersey eyes. Oh, gosh. Can you change your answer then? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. All right. Well, the uh, correct answer is jersey for the record. Oh, no, but... it's not. Holsteins are in the lead with 16, Jerseys with 11, Brown Swiss with 5, Montbelliard with 3, Dutch Belted with 2, Normandy with 2, Milking Shorthorn now with 1, and 1 Guernsey named Taffy. I, you know, I, I, we like to bring guests on to hopefully skew some of the numbers a little <laughs> bit, and yes, so I was like, hmm, yes, a Milking Shorthorn vote, that will be good. All right, well... Now that we have, you know, that important business out of the way, uh, we can dive in a little bit more. And I just feel like there's so many directions we could go and, and so mm-hmm. many places that we could start. But Monica, why don't you just start 
by explaining a little bit more in two, three minutes, kind of what you do. And, and that can mm -hmm. be in what you do. You work with the state. And I know that you are involved in some other programs and projects as well. So I'm a mental health counselor and have been in the field for about 26 years, always in rural areas, but in a variety of capacities. So my work right now is really dedicated to rural mental health, but with a focus on mental health in agriculture. Most of my time is spent working through a position in Minnesota that's legislatively funded. So I contract with farm business management and I do counseling outreach with farmers and farm families. Um, I do a lot of speaking and training with egg industry folks and farm groups all around stress and mental health and building resilience. You know, we are so lucky in Minnesota. We have this program that's legislatively funded. So Ted and I are available to farmers and farm families at no cost to them, no insurance build. It's like, I, I meet with most of my farmers on the farm at the kitchen table or wherever they wanna meet. Some it's just a phone call, some it's over Zoom, but really the state has removed the barriers for seeking mental health help for our farmers and their families, which is pretty cool. And I do some work in Wisconsin on a variety of initiatives, same thing in North Dakota, you know, speak in other parts of the country, but my primary work is right here in Minnesota. And you are from a, a Minnesota family farm that I know your parents are still farming there. And I believe your son is there now. Mm -hmm. So want to briefly tell us about the farm? Yeah. So the farm is right outside of Bijou, Minnesota, which is a town of about 90 people, a little bit north of Manoman, about an hour north of Detroit Lakes, just to put it in context. And yeah, it's a fifth generation farm, my 20 year old son being the fifth generation. And he farms with my brother and my parents and um, all crop farming. Now, when I was growing up, we had hogs and beef on occasion and, and we showed dairy. We didn't dairy. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's the legacy is alive and well and hopefully continuing, but I definitely recall and currently see all of those stressors that impact the mental health of our farmers. I'm very fortunate in that I have gotten to work with Monica a lot in the past on, on various projects and programs and presentations and what have you. You know, I do really think, Monica, that just your background in growing up in this and living this and like you said, legacy, like that's a huge word for me when I'm talking about farm stress because mm -hmm. it's a really important component of it. So I think you bring a really unique perspective um, in that way. And because we know, I mean, even just anecdotally that a lot of farmers don't seek care because mm -hmm. they don't want to work with somebody who doesn't understand farming. That is exactly right. That is, that is, I've had so many people tell me I went, uh, I went and they didn't understand, or I didn't go because I didn't know how I was going to explain my entire lifestyle mm -hmm. in a way that they would understand where the stress comes from. So yeah, that's, it's out there. I was looking through some of your materials and I, one of the things that came up was helping organizations and other people be agriculturally competent. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Can you walk us through what that means in your mind and how you teach other people and other organizations to be agriculturally competent? Yeah, definitely. I, 
I mean, this has been a great opportunity. There's been um, rural healthcare providers, behavioral healthcare providers that have reached out because they don't retain their farmer clients. If a farmer comes in for an appointment, it's kind of hit and miss, and then they eventually drop out. And same with healthcare providers, to get the farmers in the door, they're often coming in with physical complaints, but are very tied to the stress of the farm. And so if they don't have that understanding of the world of agriculture, it's really hard to be able to treat that person. I don't know if that's a real term. I just started calling it like agricultural competence because it is like its own culture. And to, to understand it is critical when you're treating farmers. And so, yeah, we've had opportunities to meet with uh, different healthcare organizations and, and mental health practitioners and just talk about, first of all, what does agriculture look like in your region or your area? Because we drive by the fields, but do we understand what's going on? Understanding the seasonality of it and then really diving into the uncontrollables and all of the pressures and stress that come with it and how it impacts farmers and their families and what it looks like. So what does it look like when they're talking or, or in your office? So it's kind of giving them an overview of what is farming and ranching, what does it look like, and then a little deeper dive into the stressors and their impacts. And I think that that's so important and and we've known for a long time you know in minnesota and across the country we have a hard time getting rural providers especially for mental and behavioral health services and so i think yeah like you said that agricultural competency piece is really important for professionals that will be serving agricultural audiences and it's just another one of those pieces that i think helps build trust and i imagine monica that in your role, you you get some kind of nervous phone calls or people who are really uncomfortable that they're calling you. So you got to work on building that trust up right oh, yeah. away. And, and can you just speak very briefly to that of people, you know, that call and you can tell are really nervous and, and perhaps kind of a message to to the people who are listening to this episode that want to call, should call, yeah. but aren't or haven't yet? Yeah, it is hard to make that call. I mean, it really is. And so when I get a call and somebody's on the other line and typically, you know, it's pretty obvious they're pausing and they'll they'll even say I just I don't even know where to start because it's so overwhelming to them to to even start to identify what's going on. So I just start talking to them about the farm. It's like, tell me about your farm, you know, multiple generations, where are you at? How long have you been doing it? Crops, livestock, because they know their farm and that's our comfort zone. So that's where we start. And it very quickly moves into what they're struggling with. That just ties so nicely to what you said about like that agricultural competency mm -hmm. piece, right? Is when someone's nervous, you, you want to get them in a zone where they're comfortable. And, and yeah, so it's like, all right, let's just talk about the farm for a while. And like you okay. said, then usually from there, some some of the things start to become clear of, of what that person's needs are. So a lot of people say that first phone call can be the hardest step in the journey, right? Absolutely. The biggest roadblock. 
Absolutely. It, it is hard. I mean, I give them a lot of credit because it takes a lot of courage to make that call. And unfortunately, because it's hard, a lot of people wait and the, the hole they're in gets a little bit deeper and they're struggling more. So by the time they make the call, they're really in a tough place, which is okay. It's better that they called then than not at all. And then we just start mm -hmm. working with where are you at and let's start climbing out of that hole. It brings back this whole agricultural competency piece again, because what I worry about is that someone's going to work up the courage to make that call. And then they're going to realize the person on the other line has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And then the, the likelihood of a second call is very low. And farmers, as we all know, have some of the best BS detectors in the world. They, yeah. they know if you don't know what you're talking about or if you can't truly relate to them, they're going to know and they're going to know pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, it'd be better for someone just to say up front, you know what, I don't know a lot about farming, but I'll listen and I'm here to help. It, it'd be better to put that out in the beginning versus trying to fake their way through it. Mm -hmm. Joe and I have discussed this a lot on the podcast and, and Monica, you and I have discussed that. And that is, and listeners know I've, I've dealt with my own mental health struggles. And I just think if you ask anyone, they would say the same thing. And it is that really severe feeling of isolation of I'm the only one going through this. Nobody understands. But what I've learned over time is that there's almost always somebody else going through it. And there's always a lot of people that understand. What are some of the things that you see kind of regularly, right? Sure. Um, that mm -hmm. people are, are really wanting to get help with and, and how you approach some of those topics. Sure. It, that is so true what you just said, because I'll even have people ask me, am I the only one that is dealing with this? Or do you oh, see other people that are dealing with this? And it's like, yes, I can assure you. You are not the only one. And I see many people dealing with this. So my calls are, I get a lot of calls for stress in relationships. So whether that's relationships between like farming partners, so siblings or parents and, you know, the next generation, but primarily spouses and things have just broken down to the point that they're ready to call it quits and walk away. That's very typical. And of course, the farm plays a big role in relationships when they're trying to manage a lot of moving parts together. A lot of anxiety where there's racing thoughts, inability to sleep. That's very common. Depression, same thing, where they're just not motivated. They don't find joy anymore. So maybe, you know, springtime, what I hear from farmers is I just, I don't even really care. I know I've got to go put the crop in, but I don't even feel like excited about it like I used to. So there's just that low feeling and that may and is often accompanied by alcohol use to try to kind of just numb it, which of course we know makes it worse. And um, so that's all pretty common. I meet with a lot of families that are going through farm transitions and there's um, tension, I guess is a good word, in their, in their relationships. And so we work through lots of communication stuff and relationship things and personality things to help that transition move forward. So those are kind of my top, the top issues that I see. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Monica. And 
you know, as I was listening to you say that, I was thinking, yeah, that's a lot, you know, of of what I see. And and I occasionally am contacted and refer people to Monica. Um, and it's a lot of issues like that. And the one thing I just want to stick on here for briefly is working with people in farm transition. That is such a vital place to be providing mental support, you know, and mental health care, just as we see that, yeah, all these big changes that come up. And so I just kind of want to make this extra plug of, hey, if you're working on a transition, like, yeah, you have your lawyer, you get your different people in place. Do you have a therapist or a counselor in place? There are so many things you can do in that process that a lawyer can't, right? Mm -hmm. Just conversations you can have, questions you can ask. Absolutely. It's not like you can write a book about the best way to go through a farm transition applied to everybody because every operation is so unique and the players Mm -hmm. in the game are so unique. There are some overarching truths that you can apply, but there's really not a guide. And so people feel like they're going into uncharted territory and really don't know how to manage it. And then you have the dynamics of the relationship and the stress and the feelings of leaving the farm and turning the farm over to the next generation. And there's just a lot, there's a lot going on with transitions. You can dress it up as it's, it's business only, uh, but there's still going to be emotional attachments there too. And so I think it's so great that there are families that are bringing you in to, to help them through that transition process. I love it. I mean, I love meeting the people. Um, they always apologize to me when they're bringing me in, like, we're sorry ahead of time. This is not going to be fun, <laughs> but it's good. You know, it's just, it's good. And it's, it's a process, no right or wrong. It's, it's a process. Yeah. I feel like that apology thing. That's very like Minnesotan, <laughs> like, you know, we're so sorry. We're asking you to come and do your job, um, yes. you know, but yeah. And, and I just think it's so great when people recognize that they need that help shifting gears a little bit, because I know that this is a question I get asked often. I know that this is a thing that I have referred to you, Monica, a couple times. What can people do or what should we think about when we have somebody who we, we feel really needs some help and they are kind of reluctant to get that help, but us as, as caretakers or partners or whatever it might be, you know, we, we want to get that person in to see you per se, you know, but there's this reluctance. What, what should we be thinking about with people like that? Those that really need the help, but are really reluctant and and knowing full well, you know, nobody's really going to get better unless they want to get better. It is tough because it's, it's different when it's a kid and a parent calls me and they're worried and it's like, you know, I'm there. We just put it on the schedule and I'm there. And those kids don't really have a choice. They can participate or not, but to get me there is a parent decision, right? So when we're dealing with adults that we're worried about, it's a whole different ball game. Different things work with different people. I get calls like the example you're giving, Emily, almost every day that I'm worried, I don't know what to do. And I think there's levels of concern. Obviously on the high end, if they're in crisis mode, if they're suicidal with a plan, you know, that's a call to 911. That's life or death, right? So that's almost easy. That's not a gray area. But there's a lot of gray areas down the line. 
So first of all, if you recognize someone struggling, have a conversation with them. And sometimes it's just about telling them, you know, this is what I'm seeing. I don't see you in church anymore. You know, you just don't seem as happy as you were before. Are you doing okay? And that often will open up a door and they'll start talking about stressors. You know, the person they're talking to can say there is a lady or Ted and they work with farmers and I've heard they're really good. And, and sometimes you need to be there with them to make that call. And I've had this happen. In fact, just last week, there was a, a female farmer who had a, a friend who was not doing well, not doing well, not sleeping, lots of stress. And she talked to him and she joined us all on a conference call to help make that transition. And then he and I were able to follow up. And so that's one strategy. Another one is I talked to just recently, again, a guy who was very, very concerned about his brother, not doing well, not leaving the house. They were really worried about him and not willing to talk to anybody. And I said, well, you know, why don't you just go have an open conversation with him? Tell him about me. Tell him I can come to the farm. We can just talk. We'll just talk. And he did. He actually rounded up his other siblings and they went over there and did a little mini intervention and and called me right away from that meeting. And so the brother and I set up a time and I was there the next day. It's not easy often. It's not comfortable. But just going to them and, and saying, this is what I've noticed and I'm worried about you often will just open up a door. Now, sometimes they'll say, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'll be fine. Um, like they are good, lying when they, they say they that. are lying. <laughs> and that's a good Minnesota response. I'm okay. I'm fine. And I'm good. And we just be like, oh, good. Okay. But, you know, if you're seeing things, don't stop there. Sometimes if someone is pretty resistant going to, if they have a close friend or a family member or a spouse or a child, you know, an adult child, going to that person saying, you know, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but I'm worried about them. Have you tried talking to them or maybe we can do it together? So kind of building your team to express your care and concern to the person that you're worried about. But yeah, just communicating, communicating, communicating. And then knowing that if they don't seek help, it is not your fault. There are no magic words. There are no magic answers. You're doing the best you can do with what you know at the time. And so I think it's important that people not beat themselves up that I'm not doing enough or I'm not saying the right words. You know, you need to take care of yourself in the whole process too. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like what you said, Monica, about if you need support in doing this, build that team around yourself, especially when it's a team of people that know and, and care about that person as well. That's an easy ask to make. And, and I think most people would would gladly say yes, because they care about this person and want them to get help as well. So yeah, and I think this is where egg that. industry folks come into the picture, too. Because our, our farmers that are struggling often isolate. So they're not seeing other people, but who they're seeing is the milk truck driver and the crop consultant and the insurance salesman and the nutritionist. And so they, those are the people that I love getting in front of to just do a 
training on suicide prevention or um, you know, spotting warning signs of stress, and then just keep some resources in your truck when you're going to the farms. And if you're seeing something or hearing something, pass something on. And and I do, I hear from, I get calls from people who get my info from lots of different places. The, just recently, their crop consultant, agronomist gave them my info. So it's, it's, those egg industry folks, extension, you know, that they have an in because they're kind of invading the space when someone's mm-hmm. trying to isolate, they're getting onto that farmyard um, and they're seeing those people. So they're, they're critical in this discussion. Yeah. And just helping to break down that isolation piece, I think is so important. And another piece you were getting at before too, with that isolation, but also just that acknowledgement at the very beginning, we were talking about the feeling of nobody is going through this. Nobody gets it. Nobody cares. So if you are concerned about somebody, yeah, just letting them know that Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that you see they're not well, that goes so far. And I think even if the person does the I'm fine and brushes you off, they'll remember, they'll remember that however brief the conversation was, And they'll feel, you know, a little bit of validation around the way they feel. Somebody is noticing this and noticing that it's not okay and that it is impacting, you know, that's huge. Yeah. Back in the eighties, when it was really tough, my dad was struggling with a lot of anxiety and he was at the John Deere implement in the, in Manoman, in the little town. And there was uh, one of the sales guys there. They just started talking about the stress and tough times. And that guy was vulnerable. And he told dad that, you know, I see a counselor. And this was, you know, talking about stigma. Yeah, then. And dad's thought was, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And and he did. And I mean, I just think of how that one conversation changed probably the whole trajectory of not just our farm, but our family being open to being vulnerable and telling your story. And Emily, you do this so well. I mean, you, you're really vulnerable with putting yourself out there and telling your story. And that's a risk, right? When you're in the public eye. But I really encourage people to do that too, to let someone you're concerned about know that I've struggled to, these are not that I'm trying to solve your problem, but these are some things that I've done. And I just, you know, I really encourage you to reach out and you're not the only one. So critical. I think for me, that's number one is just people need to know, like you are not alone and there are people that care. And yeah, that's, it's just so important. It is important. Yes, it is. (laughs) Monica, I'm going to ask you kind of the, the generic question that I'm sure you get a lot. And that is just what, you know, what would you say to somebody who, who is struggling or is worried about somebody um, that seems to be struggling? You know, what's, what's those one or two kind of pieces of advice or even action items that, that you would give them to do? Um, well, I would definitely try to plant a seed of hope that the way you feel right now is it's not going to be forever. And so hang in there and we're going to start. And when I talk to farmers, I say it like this, like we are going to start to work on this. We are going to, you know, start down this journey. And so they know they have somebody with them. 
And even if you know you're you're that person that's concerned, giving them that message that I'm here with you to walk this path is really big. That people feel like they're not alone, that they have an ally, and that there is hope. There is hope for tomorrow. There's hope for next week. There's hope, and not to give up. I love that. My my big question, and and it comes up when you're talking about we and doing this all together. There's a lot of pressure on you personally to help people, and 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 obviously that's something you enjoy doing is helping people. Mm-hmm. But but what do you do to stay up and to make sure that you're okay? You know, I do exactly what I tell my clients to do. There's like four areas of protective factors, if you will, four areas in life to really pay attention, be intentional about taking care of yourself. One is just eating healthy foods, drinking water, you know, the physically taking care of yourself, going to the doctor, taking your medicine as prescribed. One is uh, social, be around positive people that are good for you. If there are people that you shouldn't be around, kick them off your bus or put them in the back. You don't have to let them sit on your lap and drive your bus for you. Third is psychological. So watch your thinking, watch your thinking. Each thought is like a seed you plant. And which seeds are you going to water and nourish and take care of? Because those are the seeds that you're going to harvest. And so if it's negative thoughts, if it's putting yourself down, if it's blaming other people, that's going to be what your life is about. So watch your thoughts. And then fourth is spiritual. Like do what feeds your soul. So for me, it's like I'm a Christian. So it's your relationship with God and and that type of spirituality, but it's also like being out in nature. It's hiking, it's snowshoeing, it's gardening that feeds my soul. And so I know when I'm stressed, I've got to prioritize making time to do those things more than I would when I'm not stressed. Because typically when we're stressed, they go by the wayside and we dare ourselves a deeper hole. So yeah, I do exactly what I help my clients do. One of these days, I'm going to come up to Detroit Lakes in the winter and we're going to go snowshoeing. Yes. Monica. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, my salvation in the winter. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so great. And, and that's a really good note to end on is to remember that even the people who do this work professionally need to be making the efforts to take care of themselves. And oh, and I yeah. imagine that Monica, you have times where, you know, I don't want to say you fail, but where, you know, times where you're like, I just didn't get enough sleep or I didn't, you know. Oh yeah. Cause you're and a human. I, I, I see a therapist, you know, when I'm struggling, I will call a therapist and go see a therapist. I mean, we are, it's kind of like, if you think about a kidney doctor, it doesn't mean their kidneys can't fail. I mean, just because right. of taking care of other people's kidneys. And so it's kind of the same with, with counselors or anybody. It's you still are a human being living life. You're still going to have things happen. So do I have to work hard to keep myself mentally okay? Yeah, absolutely I do. It's a journey that all of us are on. I think that that is the perfect spot to wrap this episode. <laughs> So Monica, thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Good conversation.
Those of you listening, if you have questions, comments, or scathing rebuttals, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. If you have a question or comment and you would like us to hear it, you can also call our voicemail and potentially be featured on a future episode of the show. You can leave us a voicemail at 612-624-3610. You can find us on Twitter at UMN Moosroom and at UMN Farm Safety. You can also visit our website for a lot of different resources related to mental health and farm stress. That's at extension.umn.edu. Monica, do you have any social media or websites you want to plug? I sure can. Eyes on the Horizon is my company. And so Twitter, I'm really bad at Twitter. I, Emily, you're like the Twitter queen. And I try to be like, <laughs> I've got to, I'm in, I'm in Facebook mode. Maybe it's my age, but I've got to <laughs> get to Twitter. Um, but yeah, I'm on Facebook and um, Twitter, either under Eyes on the Horizon or Monica McConkey. Awesome. Well, that is all that we have for this week's episode. And next week, we will be covering another topic for May Mental Health Awareness Month. So until then, be well. Bye. Mm-hmm.